What's going on, everyone? You're listening to the Asian MMA podcast, where we talk about everything and anything going on in the world of Asian MMA. I'm your host, Dana Bluin, and thank you so much for joining me for the very first episode. Hopefully, many more to come. Now, today, there's really just one story that anyone is talking about in Asian MMA, and that is one championship signing Demetrius Johnson. Essentially, a week after they signed Eddie Alvarez out of free agency, that was a huge deal in itself. The Demetrius Johnson deal is amazing. That's a pound-for-pound great, essentially the greatest 125-er to ever do it, and the UFC let him go. And I think we need to unpack that a bit because a lot of people are talking about it as a trade, and it kind of was a trade, but at the same time, I think everyone knows it wasn't because the UFC and one, they're not just trading contracts like you would think of from the NFL or Major League Baseball or whatever. What they basically did was both come to an agreement where they would release the other fighter so the other promotion could sign them. Now, what really makes this a very unique situation to me is that one championship is winning big time in my opinion against the UFC an organization that's seen as the most dominant force in the sport why why are they winning because they are getting ascent what what is who is the pound for pound greatest fighter in the sport at the moment in Demetrius Johnson the former champion the title defense reigning champion who only just lost his title in a very closely contested fight and they're trading for him in trading in air quotes here because like I like I said it's not really a trade but an agreement that looks like a trade essentially trading for him Ben Askren who may or may not be a top 10 welterweight we're going to find out once he gets into the UFC and he stacks up against the top that they have the top 10 the top 5 we'll see what happens he could be a dud in the UFC he could, they could have just bought a lemon or they could really have someone who could threaten and change the dynamic of the welterweight division. They don't know. It's a very much an unknown factor. Colby Covington called him out basically saying that, you know, he's a he's a worker, he's a jobber, kind of a term from pro wrestling that he's, he's a journeyman, but he's been fighting can. So he's been the undefeated champion in one championship for a long time, Bellator before that. But essentially what... Colby Covington saying, and it's it's a valid argument, is that Ben Askren has never really fought anyone who has had a substantial challenge to him. The closest was the Santos fight. There was the infamous eye poke and, and that whole debacle that happened with the uh, the officiating and everything that went on and, you know, people coming up to the side of the cage. And I, I just think that was that was the one challenge where it seemed like Ben was was not really himself in that fight. And he it could have gone either way, and we didn't really get to see that happen. So we don't know what the UFC got, but we know what one championship got, and they got a pound-for-pound great in Demetrius Johnson. Now, yesterday they had the conference call with uh, Chachu Sityontong, the CEO and chairman of one championship, along with Demetrius Johnson. And Demetrius basically came out and said that, you know, I, I think he wasn't happy in the UFC 
And it's no secret that he wasn't getting the fanfare. He wasn't driving the pay-per-view buys that a Conor McGregor or a you know even a Tyrone Woodley were selling. So, you know, he probably wasn't making a ton of extra money on top of his contract from pay-per-view buys, and he wasn't getting the visibility that he perhaps thought that he should get. And that led him to, I guess, be unhappy. And, of course, his coach, Matt Hume, is an executive and shareholder at One Championship. And so that sort of eased the path into Asia for him. On the conference call, he talked a lot about you know, his love for Asia, his love for Asian MMA going back to the Pride days. So we really did get to see that be part of his motivation. And I, I think that was interesting. The other thing that I think is interesting is that he's going to come in, and I don't think there's too many people at 125 who are even going to challenge him at, at all. So he could run right through that division and clean it out the same way he did in the UFC. Now, one championship is very keen on their champions going up or down a weight class and trying to capture multiple, multiple titles. Now, we know that's not going to happen if he goes up to 135 because Bibiano Fernandez is his training partner and his friend. He said on the call he's not going to challenge for that belt as long as Bibiano has that. He's fighting in a few weeks, so that could all change. But I don't know. Maybe DJ could potentially go down. He could go down to 115 and challenge uh, Joshua Piaco for that belt. Who knows? At straw weight, he could make it happen. I don't know if DJ can get that low, how bad the cut is for him to get to 125. We're going to have to find out. Now, one of the other things that I think is going to help DJ is as he starts to establish his brand more here in Asia, he's a big fan of gaming, and he does a lot of video gaming on Twitch and YouTube. That's a big sport here. Esports is huge in Asia, and as his brand grows, that could be a crazy vertical for him to explore. On top of that, I think that we're going to see one put their full PR and marketing machine behind DJ, and he's just going to explode. He's going to become a star here in Asia. Just like, you know, you think of Krokob or Volchanchen or Coleman were in Japan in the Pride days. I think in Asia, Southeast Asia specifically, we could see DJ become that guy, sort of, that, that sort of iconic character. If one puts the right spin on him between esports and MMA, and who knows what else he's going to get into out here. You know, it, it could just be a fantastic move for him. And on the esports front, we've seen people like uh, Nick Harris from Malaysia actually make the jump from MMA to esports, though not at the level that DJ's at. Still a very successful transition. That model exists. There is already some crossover fame between the two, so it's very likely that we could see that happen. And with the push behind one championship, really propelling DJ forward, you know, who knows what's going to happen, especially if he captures a second or a third belt, depending on what happens with Bibiano coming up in a few weeks. Anything is possible. And the one PR marketing machine is, is absolutely beastly. So anything is possible there. The other thing that I think is interesting is, like I said, one might not have the deepest 125 division right now. But in Asia, I think it's much easier to source people at that weight, at that size. Something that DJ actually hinted to on the conference call with Chatry when he was talking about he's not going to be the smallest person in the room anymore. 
he's not going to be looked at as like a little kid because he's so small. 125-pound fighters are very common in Southeast Asia across multiple disciplines, and I think DJ is going to have a much deeper division that one could build and develop and curate for him and could be much more exciting. I think those lower weight classes could become sort of the pinnacle of what one championship is, and that, I mean, 125 fighters, in my opinion, are, are some of the best. Those lower weight classes are amazing to watch the pace is incredible the technique is incredible that could really turn into something interesting if one puts the time in to to find that talent around asia around europe maybe even from the u.s from latin america bring it over here and actually build that 125 division to something that who knows we may have never seen before so so many options for dj in that space it's going to be incredible I think Asia is the right place for him. He seems to be super passionate about the move, the relationship with Matt Hume, which is a very close relationship on, on the surface, it looks like anyway, that I, th- I think that's really going to play a role in his success here and his comfort here. And I don't think he's going to have the issues that he had with Dana White. And a lot of that, I really believe, was driven by the pay-per-view numbers and, and all of those things. And you have to keep in mind that one championship doesn't care about pay-per-view numbers because they don't sell pay-per-views. All of their content's given away for free on their app. So you can watch every fight that one championship has for free on the app, no matter where you are in the world. Uh, I talked to Chatri Sitiantong on my Biz Design podcast with uh, SEAC. That episode is actually not out yet. But he talks about that being the brainchild of his partners from Sequoia Capital, that they said, look at it like a media play, get eyes. And I I think that's such a much, that is such a great formula for DJ, for Demetrius Johnson. Just being in front of all those eyes in one championship is talking about a TV deal in the U.S. It brings them back to a market that's familiar with them. They're in Asia you know, the video game thing is could be huge and an amazing crossover for him. One's building up talent in a lot of weight classes. Bring, like the Eddie Alvarez signing was huge. They have Gary Toon here. So, I mean, it, it's, it's getting to the point where it's something that people need to look at. I don't know that one is at that pride level yet where it's just something super special, but it's getting to that point. It's getting big. They're getting traction, and their model of getting in front of eyes and not selling fights is perfect for someone like Demetrius Johnson, where that was Dana White's biggest complaint. He doesn't have to contend with that anymore at one championship. Download the one app. It's free. Watch him all you want. If you're a fan, he's a fighter you want to watch, guaranteed. You know, that's that's pretty much the biggest story this week. That's the only one I'm going to talk about today on the show. But a few things that are coming up that I am going to dive into more in later episodes after they happen. I'll do more recaps as opposed to analysis for now. Next week in Bangkok, we have a Bangkok-based MMA promotion Full Metal Dojo kind of making their long-awaited return on November 3rd after essentially a year without an event at all. They're now holding their Big Trouble in Little Bangkok show. I will say this. If you have never seen an FMD show, if you've never heard of the promotion, you have to check it out. It's so worth checking out because the shows have these amazing 80s, 90s action movie themes. They're a ton of fun. 
And I don't know if this one's going to be free on Facebook, but pretty much all of them before this have been free on Facebook. So I will go ahead and put a link in the show notes. You guys can actually check out their page. Definitely watch the live stream. Keep in mind it happens in Bangkok. So if you're in the West, keep that time difference in mind. Great cards, the theatrics, the the design, just the story behind them is all amazing. It's a ton of fun to watch. It's something unlike you've ever seen before. It's very much theater. However, uh, it's worth throwing out there that the card for this show has seen a lot of issues and a lot of fighters have actually dropped out. I'm not even sure who's on the card fight-wise at this point, what fights are still left. There was supposed to be a, a middleweight championship fight. I don't know if that's happening. One thing of note, though, I saw on the fight poster that was posted on Facebook that the promoter's name, John Nutt, was actually on the poster along with some of the fighters. John has been known in the past to step up and fight on his own cards to just basically keep the card full. He's a former Muay Thai champion himself, so he's not unskilled. He does it as for fun. So... I asked him if that was the case. He read the message. He didn't respond. I don't know what's going on there. It could be super interesting and super fun if that, that what go, that's what goes down. Keep an eye out for that. But like I said, that's November 3rd in Bangkok. Definitely worth watching. You know, No matter what the card ends up being, it will be a great time. Now, the week after that, November 9th in Singapore... One is actually going to have their Heart of the Lion event, and that is their big event where Angela Lee is going to step up to strawweight to face their champion, uh, Zion Jingnan, the, the panda, who's actually a beast in the women's uh, strawweight division. Angela's you know, been on a tear. She's had two really good fights with uh, Maya Maguchi. I, I could easily argue that Angela lost the last fight with Maya Maguchi. But that's besides the point. She's still the champion. And this is going to be a champion versus champion event. Two very talented women in Asian MMA. It's going to be an exciting main event. Now, this is also the card where Bibio Fernandez is fighting a unification bout with uh, Kevin Bellington. That could be really interesting. Like I said, especially if Bibiano loses that fight, drops his title, and then that leaves that 135 division wide open for Demetrius Johnson to come in and be a two-division champ if he wants. Also on that card, we've got Tiffany Teo from Singapore. She's fighting uh, Michelle Nicolini, which could be super interesting. Uh, Nicolini is a beast. Tiffany Teo's great fighter, though, as well. I've seen her fight before she was in one championship, and she used to come out to Chocolate Salty Balls as her walkout song, which was one of the most amazing kind of like crazy weird energy entrances you could see, especially for a female fighter. She would come out kind of lip syncing it or singing to herself. Really, really fun fighter to watch. That could be a very fun fight or it could could also be a very one-sided fight. We'll see how it goes. Now the undercard is really interesting for this one championship event. And there's three fights on here. I want to point out because, you know, They've got good fighters, gritty fighters, but also the first fight on the card is something I want to talk about, and I'll get to that. But first off, we've got uh, Mohamed Ayman from Malaysia. I believe he's actually fighting out of Bali MMA, and he's fighting Shiua Kamabuo 
from Japan. Now, Iman's always game. He, he's got great movement, good hands, and fairly solid ground game. So he's done very well for himself in one, and I think this is going to be a good fight for him. I don't know why he's fighting on the undercard. He's generally been a slightly bigger draw for one. Uh, maybe it's because it's a Singapore card and not a Malaysia card. I don't know, but that's going to be a, a fun one to watch. Now, one fighter I always want to see is uh, Hisham uh, Samsudin from Borneo Tribal Squad. He's out in Kota Kinabalu. He is just one of the grittiest, grinding fighters I've ever seen. He doesn't have the greatest record, but he just really gets out there and does it. So if you get a chance to see him fight, definitely check it out. Like I said, not the best record. He doesn't always pull out the win, but he always gives it 110%, and I love that about him. I love That's why I love watching him fight. You know, I've seen him fight in Thailand and Malaysia. You know, just really solid fighter, good dude, and just really nice. I know him personally, and he's just a nice down-to-earth guy. But lastly, or firstly, the first fight on the card, uh, as far as it's posted, I'm, I'm super excited about this because it's got uh, Anthony... Engelin, he's making his return to one championship, and he's fighting Maz Mule out of Cambodia top team. Anthony's a hard hitter. He's fairly well-rounded. You know, and he's, he's got a lot of personality. I, I think he's great to watch fight. He fights out of Jakarta, uh, though I believe he's, uh, he's mixed Indonesian, Dutch. Really good guy. Runs, uh, runs his gym in Jakarta. You know, but a hard hitter. Great fighter, but Meza is one of the one of the most grimy, gritty, crafty fighters, veteran of the sport, fighting out of Cambodian top team. I've seen him fight where you thought he was done. You thought he was finished, and somehow he turns it around, gets the stoppage, wins the fight. He's just one of those guys you can never count out, and I don't think, I just don't think he can be, like, really stopped. Like, he might have had some TKO stoppages where the ref jumped in and stopped it, but he's just one of these guys kind of reminds me of uh, Cabbage from back in the UFC days where just no matter how much damage he takes, he's just good to go. So I, I always found that interesting. It's going to be an awesome fight, especially that's kicking off the card. I, I, can't even, I can't even believe that that's the first one on the card. It's going to be great. And like I said, you can watch all those one championship ones on their app, which you know, unlike the UFC, there's no pay-per-view. So whenever they put on a show, check it out. Really just a... Uh, you know, good way to be able to consume fights, especially if you're in the West and it's not at nighttime. You know, you can pop it up at work or whatever. Not that I ever do that. Now, you know, of course, I'll be recapping all these events uh, late in later episodes after they happen, kind of go over them. And, of course, other events all around Asia I'll be talking about. I'm partnering with a couple websites, so hopefully I'll be sharing some of their news on Asian MMA as well. And to stay up to date with all things Asian MMA, be sure to subscribe to the Asian MMA podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll throw all the links to where I'm going to have the content down in the show notes. Check it out.